Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today, as always, we've got an amazing guest, Kashif Khan, who is the CEO of DNA Company, a serial entrepreneur and philanthropist. Thanks for joining us, Kashif. How are you doing today? Awesome to be here. Pleasure. Excellent. Great. Well, in a while here, uh, we'll dive into basically your business experience, which is very fascinating. You've started several different companies. Uh, I believe you said you've made millions, you've lost millions. So we'll dive into that in a little bit here. And then, of course, I'm very excited to geek out about the science behind DNA Company and what what you guys are doing and what you're finding. Um, But first... uh, a, a touchy subject, and I must really commend you for for coming forward with some of the the videos you have, uh, basically explaining your your uh, your health journey right from the start, where you you had uh, said that there's been history of family members uh, with mental health and addiction issues, and that kind of helped helped form your journey into that. Um, I, I would just really love to kind of dive into that and uh and uh get yeah get, uh, your perspective growing up uh it was pretty messed up let's just start there right so okay. watching what was going on addiction was a big part of the family and it's not when you picture addiction you picture uh the worst like you know people run out of money that are struggling or whatever the challenge in my family was immigrant family my brother my sorry my dad and all his brothers my uncles had right. moved here and they just landed on success they they did really well very quickly uh and i i don't know what happened but they all turned into scarface and frank sinatra and they thought that you know going to the bar with whiskey is the, what you do right and that's the era they grew up in and so um but it, it very quickly turned into a very problematic situation i i can't remember a family event where there wasn't some kind of disaster or somebody showing up drunk or somebody fighting with somebody or we still had the great uh, love, support and everything that you expect with the sprinkling of this problem. It's always there. Okay. And so we just took it as this is what you do. This is what, you know, this is how people have fun. And that's what we thought of our uncles. It wasn't until I examined my own genetics, which, you know, my healthcare concerns drove me towards that that I understood that we're actually wired for that behavior. And it explained both Mm -hmm. their entrepreneurial success and their tendency towards addiction. And what, what's going on there is your dopamine allows you to feel pleasure. It's that chemical that everyone's familiar with. We hear about it on social media, like the the scrolling and that dopamine hit you get with every new image. Right. And that's why you keep going. Um, There's a chemical, uh, or sorry, a, a gene, I should say, called MAO, which is responsible for clearing your dopamine, breaking it down. Right. There's yeah. an, another gene called COMT, which then is like the broom that sweeps up that metabolite. Going back to the dopamine, you, we can determine genetically how, to what degree do you bind it and experiencing it, experience it. Um, and we can, ex- we can also determine the speed at which you do those other two processes, break it down, clean it up. So I learned that genetically, and I was trying to answer the question of depression, which is what I was feeling at the time, you know, five or six years ago, that my receptors for dopamine are slim to none. I hardly feel. And the two clearance chemicals are ultra fast. Okay. Why was there depression? Because I had 
done good at work and I just didn't feel a need to push myself. And so I wasn't experiencing reward. I also saw addiction in my family. So I wasn't experiencing that. I avoided all that stuff. And so the third option is depression. And I realized this is what was going on in my family is that wow. they sought out reward. They were entrepreneurial. They had to, they came here and struggled with, they came with nothing, had to fight for their way. So they went down the reward path because dopamine lets you feel both. Yes. And, reward. and when they started to get successful, unlike me, they didn't fall into depression. They fell into addiction. So there's really three outcomes. If you don't experience pleasure or reward because your dopamine levels are so low and they clear so fast, you can either be depressed or you can be addicted because you're going to find something to give you that elevated pleasure, or you can become uh, sort of uh, high achieving because you go down the reward path. And so yeah. the context drives all three. And that that's the sort of epiphany for me that, wow, this personalization is, I, I didn't need to go through that if my family knew this. So you're saying basically what we've observed with, with a lot of high successful people, high functioning people yeah. with kind of mental health and addiction as well actually shows up in the DNA. It shows. And this is why you see there's high rates of suicide amongst highly successful people. You know, like, right. for example, Anthony Bourdain, why? Like you would, you would wish for his life. Exactly. You would wish yeah. that you could travel to every country and be a celebrity and get paid really well. But yeah, when you're doing that, the pressure uh, in that industry of being the best, you know, the constant reward hit, not the pleasure hit. And the, the second your show gets canceled or there's another guy that's getting better ratings than you and that reward feeling just isn't there you just fall right back into depression and the Delta value for somebody that's at that level, it's much bigger. The bounce in between the two, you know, for exactly. someone that's operating a day to day, you haven't been pulled up into that high level of, you know, euphoric reward or pleasure to be able to experience a big drop. Right. And that's why you see this correlation between depression, success, depression, addiction, you know, they're the same neurochemicals context is driving the result. Big time. Wow. So how, how did you stumble upon this? So, yeah, I, I was sick, you know, so I, I literally uh, had eczema, psoriasis, migraines. The migraines was probably the, the thing that drove me most towards trying to find a solution. Uh, I had a sort of digestive reflux type problems and, of course, the depression. So I was running a, a PR and marketing company. And I only did that because in my own businesses, I realized the reason why I did well was because I was really good at the PR side, like getting out there talking and working with the media with a meaningful message. We did a lot of it. And if you name a major media outlet in Canada, I've been on it at some point in my previous career. Right. Right. Um, so I started doing that for other people because I realized this is what I was good at. And again, I got to that complacent stage where the business was running and things were good. So I stopped trying. Um, but what really hit me is the migraines got so bad that my business partner would have to drive me home regularly, few, three to four times a month, I would say. The only thing that would heal it is either to vomit or fall asleep. I just couldn't get through it. It wasn't functional at all. Jeez. And there was no solution. There was like, well, you, you have migraines. That's what you have. And when you have them, take this pill, pill to numb the pain. And when I asked the question why, there was no answer. Right. I didn't have this. I wasn't born with this. It started now in my late 30s 
why now? What, what, what's changed? And none of those questions would be answered. Then I started asking the same questions about my eczema and about my psoriasis. It was all about how do we mask the symptom? Check mark of success. There was right, no exactly. why. Yeah. Right. And, and so the why I found that through functional medicine. So I started to, like anybody else does, you start to research online and Google and look for beyond what you're being told. <clears throat> and what it sounded like to me was that there was something going on genetically right? Quote, unquote, it's in your genes. Uh, because it all happened at the same time. And they all kind of seemed intertwined, they would all flare up at the same time and go away at the same time. And so I ran my genome. And even then, I didn't get an answer. I was completely underwhelmed, because it was like, hey, you got a 60% oh. chance of Alzheimer's, you got a 40% chance of whatever. What does that mean? Like, do I just sit and wait to see to, if I'm getting Alzheimer's? <laughs> like, you're not telling me why or what to do about it. It's the exact exact same experience I've been getting clinically. And that's when I learned that there was a functional approach to, to genomics also, meaning when I say 60% chance of Alzheimer's, I'm also saying with the exact same genetic MAC, 40% didn't get it. Exactly. So what's the difference? We, we should study the habits of the 40% and understand that. And that's what I ended up doing and learning that in my building, where I was, where my business partner would have to drag me out and drive me home, there was a manufacturing company downstairs in the basement. Okay. And they were putting, yeah, they were putting these sort of toxic pollutants into the air, right? Because they were manufacturing with chemicals. Uh huh. I pinpointed that after learning as a trigger for things like eczema, migraines, this toxic exposure. But okay. why me and not my business partner? We're both breathing in the same nonsense every day, right? Right. Yeah. What I what I discovered genetically was there's some key detox genes, and this is not genetics. This is functional genomics that I was missing. Forget about what version or what variant. I didn't even have them. So the, if your genes are your human instruction manual. They, they're a blueprint that tells all your cells what to do. And I was literally missing a few pages. So now this key process of what we call glutathionization, glutathione goes out, finds toxins and insults in your blood and gets rid of them. Like when you drink alcohol, your liver clears it. Everybody knows that already. But how? Right. It's through glutathione, yeah. right? And glutathione so, is one of those supplements that is heavily used in functional medicine, but right. the common person does not know anything about glutathione Are these right. genes behind it and that uh, it is actually the, the body's master uh, 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 oxidation support. Yes. I mean, it's and, not and, vitamin C. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. that, that why answer is known. It's, it's known. Right. It's not used. It's not part of the clinical toolkit because the clinical toolkit is how do I get rid of this disease that we've labeled? Not why did it happen? Right. Right. If I got rid of your eczema, I don't need to know why it happened. I just need to get rid of your eczema. Well, it's just going to pop up somewhere else because you didn't look at the why. So now I'm missing key instructions that drive that process. So I wasn't clearing toxins the way my partner was. Guess what? He has an extra copy of that instruction. Uh, so he was, a, he was a superhuman detoxer. And it just happens to be what we inherited from our ancestors and what they needed to survive. So now all of a sudden I found this hub, this central thing from which all the other spokes were flowing, all the other pain points were coming out of because my cells were on, suffering so much sort of call it inflammatory insult from these toxins that everything was falling apart. It, skin started to get inflamed, psoriasis is an autoimmune response the migraines from the neural inflammation, it just all triggered at the same time as my body crossed this threshold where it just couldn't cope anymore. 
since I discovered sense. that, yeah, and, and now that I've implemented the right solutions to deal with the why, I have not had any of those problems in, I don't know, six or seven years. Amazing. Gone. They're all gone. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. That's that's yeah. the way it should be, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. If you knew what to do, right? If exactly. knowing what to do is starting with why. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, taking a uh, just an online seminar course, uh, and I was like blown away that this was a free course by one of the top research journals. And uh, I get on it, and it's about epigenetics. But it was yeah. this old approach that if we know the epigenetic cascade, then we can come up with a medication to inhibit that protein. It had right. nothing about what's actually causing and these exactly. these to, to pop up with. And then it's, so commonly yeah. when people hear about genetics, they think about the, the one to 5% of diseases that are purely a genetic disorder versus everything else from being peak performance down to once again, just everyday function and, and susceptibility like you, you talked about there. Um, yeah, every decision that you have to make when it comes to your body, health, wellness, performance, fitness, beauty, all of it can be better informed through genetics. The challenge has been exactly what you said, that the people funding the research are looking to turn switches on and off. And right. so they focused on genetic conditions. If I can find the thing that turns sickle cell syndrome off, I'm going to be a gazillionaire because now I own this condition, right? right? That's that's the kind of thing they're looking for versus you're not born with diabetes or breast cancer or Alzheimer's. All this stuff happens later in life because it takes that many years of making decisions misaligned to your genetics, your personal genetics to cause that level of inflammatory insult where you get sick. Right. Right. And now all of a sudden what your genetics can tell you is what are the right choices? And they're not always obvious. Sometimes they're counterintuitive. Just look at me, my partner, completely different choices. I can't be in that environment. He can. And it's not that it's good for people to be breathing in toxins, but he can do it. I can't. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. And that's where um, these questions of even the genetic conditions uh, we just find that we can go beyond masking the pain point to actually even functionally dealing with, you know, I was just talking to someone yesterday who has a real problem with mold, right? Okay. She, she can't handle mold. So it used to be masking that, but now she still has the mold problem, but it doesn't ex express to a point where it's a problem anymore because she's dealt with the inflammation. She's dealt with the neurological. She's dealt, she dealt with all the outcome of it. Right. We functionally right. know what biochemistry is, what happens, and now you deal with it. And then it's, even though she still has a mold intolerance, she's not feeling it. Right. And just how how much richer is her life because of that? Yeah. She doesn't have to worry. And she just happens to be in a city. I think it's Austin where mold happens to be a, a big problem. Definitely. It doesn't matter where she goes. She can't escape it. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, you look at your example there of being above uh industrial facility look at how many cities out there basically are going to have more of that pollution bias towards them and how many people are are showing up in the healthcare system or are having basically these meltdowns within their days um mm -hmm. because once again there's something 
genetic that predisposes them to to not being able to be in that environment there yeah i think i think one thing that people misunderstand is how long it takes for our bodies to change we are resilient in current time like our bodies fight that's why it takes up until the age of 50 55 before you start getting sick like our body for 50 years is struggling and fighting this stuff but what i'm getting at is that our dna is 250,000 years old we are the same genetically as people of a quarter million years ago so it's not that oh grandma went through industrialization so i'm going to genetically be able to cope with it no you're designed for what happened 250,000 years ago our life today is maybe 200 years old like our reality of pollution chemicals in fact the chemicals is more like within the last hundred years yeah right now that's a speck it's a drop in the bucket versus 250,000 years of what we're designed to do so imagine for that amount of time what life looked like how clean it was how pure it was how chemical free it was there was no pesticides in your grass there was no cleaning chemicals all over your desk you know you weren't walking into an office where the carpet that just got laid has some kind of off gassing of chemicals you know none of this happened so we aren't yet ready to cope with our reality and this is why environmental health is not a disease but is a root cause of so many diseases absolutely i I think you just nailed it there um so what can people start start to do then uh to to kind of counteract some of this so the first layer is so what what you can do is it's twofold genetically and and this is personalized first of all people can get their genetic testing done and learn where they are like some how what do they need to focus on that's step one like what are my red flags you know right. i have a thing i have a boat that's sinking where's the water coming in from what do i need to plug it's not the same for everybody that's that's one exactly but once you, yeah and once you've got there the way to deal with genetic weakness call it i don't do something well okay take me for example glutathione process i not that i don't even do it well i don't do it i i'm missing the genes forget about well or not i literally don't even do it oh there's there's two there's two solutions reduce input what are the things that would cause me harm i have to learn and stop doing those things or exposing myself to those things also increase capacity my ability to cope with those things and you have to do both so if you're like me and you can't cope with the environment you know the people that might resonate with like when i smell chemicals i get a headache or brain fog or my joints hurt or if i eat the wrong food i get super bloated and i kind of get tired because again there's a detox of the gut as well and things getting into your bloodstream so if that's the case then it's 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 a double it's two fronts you got to fight one is reducing input understanding what the things are that cause you a problem and your your dna can tell you that and then turning the dials that's the epigenetics you were talking about epigenetics is here's the gene you have you don't do this well well we can make that gene work harder literally change its expression that's epigenetics mm-hmm. by eating a certain food by taking a certain supplement by doing a certain exercise right these things trigger and it, it doesn't sound uh clinical in nature but if you think about it when you exercise you're signaling certain hormone production growth hormone etc your body reacts to everything you do even your thoughts if you think about something tasty you'll start salivating think about something arousing you'll actually physically feel something right so there's you can't deny that your thoughts and what you do change what your body is now doing 
So it's again, turning that dial, reducing input, increasing capacity, but you need to know what increases the capacity for these various problems. Excellent. Wow. Now your company right now, um, is going up against other genetic companies. Uh, basically what differentiates a DNA company from say, say the other ones out there? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, right? So there, I would say there's three buckets. There's the clinical tests, meaning looking for those genetic conditions you were talking about, and they're more diagnostic in nature. So a hospital would order it to find out if you have, you know, a missing gene and, and that's why you can't get pregnant. For example, it's a, it's a direct diagnostic test. Then there's the majority, which is more the recreational consumer testing. So okay. it's kind of like, here's your list of genes and here's your probabilities. So you got an 80% chance of Alzheimer's, you like sprinting, you should eat more broccoli, right? right? And that's what you'll get. And those tests are more data collection tools. And the reason why people are often disappointed with the result when they're trying to resolve either I don't want to be sick or I want to add 10 years to my life, like anti-aging type stuff, is because they're actually designed as data collection tools, not as data mining tools. They're not, you're not the customer. You're paying three, four hundred dollars per test. The, the, the guy that the pharma company that's paying $5,000 per sample is the real customer. Right. So the test is, is designed for the data they want to collect versus the insights that you want. Okay. So then what we do is called functional genomics. So it's not this gene means this, this gene means this, this gene means this, because that's not the way the body works. Exactly. That's the way pharma companies want information. They want a list of genes and SNPs and they want to know what people have so they can start to design drugs for each individual problem. We're saying, well, that's, that's all you'll ever get to is designing drugs for genetic conditions. We want people to not have diabetes, to reverse their cholesterol problems, to know that the breast cancer that their mother had is not going to be a problem for them, right? To learn how they can cross that plateau of, I just can't lose these last 15 pounds of, I used to have a ton of energy. I just don't feel the same. How do I get the energy I used to have 10 years ago, right? So those are the big things that people are worried about Absolutely. Uh, and obviously a lot more. So how do we get there? It's not gene by gene. It's not this because there's no gene that does any of those things. It's systems. We already know the biochemistry of the human body. We already know how, what the hormone system looks like, how the neurochemicals of the brain look like, uh, how the cardiovascular system works. So what needed to happen is not what does every gene mean? How does the body work and what gene instructs each step? So one gene can't tell you anything. Yeah. You needed to understand the system. Uh, and I'll give you a simple example. Um, I can't tell you anything about your hormones if I tell you about each hormone. But I can tell you progesterone converts into testosterone, converts into estrogen, and then converts into a, a byproduct, and then you get rid of it. So there's five steps. And in that five steps, the cascade, you can do anything in any different way. And all of a sudden, do you look like Kim Kardashian or do you look like Kendall Jenner? Right? <laughs> What they have same mother, different father, and they look completely different. One's a supermodel and one's super curvy and, you know, more voluptuous. That's hormonally driven. Right. And we can predict this. We don't need to meet you to know what you look like, what your hair looks like, what your skin looks like, what your body type is like. Should you be deadlifting? Should you be sprinting and running? That's all driven by your hormones. So, but unless you look at the full cascade, step A to Z, you can't be certain about things. 
exactly. you can only say based on this gene, maybe this, based on this gene, maybe this, which is kind of what you get from Ford. So, so that's what we do very differently. In order to do that, we have to test for a lot more. And that's one of the big challenges, And but we've got it done. This has to be very challenging um, because as you mentioned, all these other tests basically out there are trying to to bring in that information to people who have extremely deep pockets. And right. it seems to be more of a simplistic approach than what, what you're attempting to do and doing an amazing job at is this huge systems approach where things are interconnected and, uh, and there's so many different factors going into it. And then to make it into a communication system that's simple enough for people to understand is yep. an absolutely huge endeavor. So how kind of structurally business-wise are you able to actually take on such a huge task and perform so well at it? Yeah, so it's funny because we've recently been talking to some investors who want to, so now we're ready to sort of explode. Everything's ready. The, the systems, the AI, the platforms, the reports, as a product, it's already, it's been selling for some time, but it's, it's ready to grow. And so when we've been talking to these guys, we have the challenge we have with investors is they don't understand how we did what we did. They almost think we're not telling the truth because no way. a typical biotech company would spend 50 to $100 million to do the kind of research we've done. We, we spent some serious money, but it wasn't 50 to $100 million, right? Right. Why? Because the only way to gather the information we have, what, what was missing in genetics? geneticists are in a lab studying DNA. When you go buy a test online from these companies you're talking about, they ship you a test, it gets sent back to them. They never talk to you or meet you. They don't know who you are. What we realize, that, we realize that's the gap. In order to understand the difference between you have a 60% chance of Alzheimer's or you have a 40% chance of not getting Alzheimer's, we need to know the habits of the 40% that didn't get it. What were they doing? Because environment, nutrition, and lifestyle, those are the three buckets that overlay on your genetics and take you from I was born healthy to I'm now sick. Right. So I was born healthy means I have bad cardiovascular hardware. We can determine that genetically. More prone to inflammation, more prone to disease. But you're not sick. In your 20s, you're not sick. In your 30s, you're not sick. And for the most part, in your 40s, you're not sick. By your 50s, something starts to happen. It's your environment, nutrition, and lifestyle choices that are misaligned to your genetic capacity. And that's the load that I was talking about. That got you there. Right. So we studied the habits of the sick and the healthy. And we interviewed 7,000 people. Okay. It's, wow. it's really, yeah, it's, it's the largest study of its kind in the world. The next largest study we could find where there was like in-person genomic consults uh, was 150 people out of, there's a company, I think it was in, uh, I think it was in Norway. And they were studying uh, weight and weight loss. Okay. So we met 7,000 patients. Right. Excellent. And, yeah. yeah, and this is the only way that we're able to be certain about what we say. When your neurochemicals look like this, you behave like this. When your hormones are like this, you look like this. When you get stuck uh, on the treadmill and it's not working for you, you actually need to shift to resistance training, and then you'll lose those extra 10 pounds. We've learned all this by talking to 7,000 people, and we it, it's now a lot more actionable. And that's right. what's been missing from genetics, the recommendations. What do I do about all this stuff? Exactly. And those aren't small conversations to have with people either. And No, uh, they're, yeah, they're typically a minimum of, of an hour. Right. And to do 7,000 of those is, is amazing, amazing work in 
it was in the science field. That's that's a slug, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, and not just that. What I think it really does is it it actually involves people again in health. Yeah. And you mentioned there that that these these big entities aren't doing that, and uh, no. and then yours when it's actually personalized medicine is truly actually personalized people have been involved from the start of it and you've you've uh gone into basically decisions and choices as well and and how how things go uh i remember uh being at one of the the neuro conferences in university and uh hearing uh hearing some of the speakers and one of the analogies i heard about genetics was is that it was like taking a blueprint and throwing it over the chain link fence and expecting the the building to be made. And uh, <laughs> that's just kind of stuck with me. It's like you need the building blocks for the actual directions. And if you put right. in the wrong pieces, you're, you're going to, to not even end up with what was designed in the first place. That's exactly true. What, what were you designed to be? And we like, we tell this to people often that can't understand what we're, getting at is if your blueprint lays out a ferrari great beautiful you're designed well great engineering what if you take that ferrari (laughs) off-roading right go for it see see what happens that's just not gonna happen yeah yeah or an suv you know take it off-roading no problem but try and race the ferrari on a track right we're we're all different we're there those are both cars yep Right, they're both cars. I can just treat them the exact same, which is what we do with ourselves. But look at just a subtle nuance of they're both four wheel vehicles with steering wheels that will get you from point A to B. But if you start to get into the details and nuances of their blueprint and what they're designed to actually do, versus what are you actually doing with it? Exactly. Yeah. Are those, yeah. Are those things aligned? And if they are, you, you're going to have a great outcome. If they're not, it's going to fall apart. Absolutely. Now you were saying right from the start there that your blueprint, your your DNA was entrepreneurship, and yeah, uh, yeah. What's what's kind of been your your path there that's brought you? I, I believe you said this is twenty years of entrepreneurial experience to take you to to this calling there. Yeah. Uh, what, what's been the journey then? The journey. Well, you know everything I've done. Um, and why I say it, it leads to this is because this has so much meaning. Right? Everything I've done until now is how do I make money? And not, I mean, I'm simplifying it a bit, but there's always been, we've always done a good job of what we do, but the outcome was an impact, you know, selling, you know, high-end baubles to Canadian billionaires. I, at the one point, you know, rare art and, you know, uh, selling building and selling mega mansions you know, uh, uh, there's been some sort of consumer type companies, clothing, food. So all that stuff was fun. It was, it was fun. I enjoy the building part. That's what I'm good at. Definitely. But the impact of reversing and eliminating disease, I can't compare it to anything I've worked on. And this is where literally I took the keys to our PR company and just handed them to the partner and, and the staff and said, you guys help build this, just keep it. And in fairness to you, I, I need to walk away. So you just keep my share. I don't care. You own it now. I found something that needs to happen. And that's that's what I did. I walked away to, to build it. And and then what drives that? We talked about the dopamine. 
Yes. Right. We talked about uh, that reward seeking behavior that whatever I did yesterday isn't good enough anymore. I need to do more and keep challenging myself. And even within the challenge, I find these micro things that I need to challenge on. Right. But, but then there's other neurochemicals like serotonin, which is your mood regulator. So in the moment, how are you uh, perceiving the stimulus of what's going on? whether it's negative or positive, to what degree are you experiencing it? And my serotonin response is horrible, which means okay. I, I notice and feel everything, right? That the clock is ticking, someone's making noise, someone showed up late, it all bugs me. And it's very easy to irritate me. But because I've channeled that into entrepreneurship, it doesn't express as irritability, like I'm, I'm uh, hard to be around. It's more like I just capture every single detail and I can't let it go until I've resolved it because of that reward seeking behavior, the details of the irritations become goals or targets. Right. And so that's also allowed me to do what I do because how do you shift gears from PR and marketing guy to running a biotechnology company? What, what right do I have to be doing that? Right. (laughs) It's because I came in with a completely different perspective from the clinicians that are sitting in the clinic and I saw things they didn't see because of my serotonin dysregulation, the, the super attention to detail and like everything poking and prodding and bothering me. Right. right. And, and I can't let it go until I resolve it. So that's another thing that drives this entrepreneurial spirit. The third thing that drives it is a brain derived neurotropic factor. It's a, a gene that determines actually how much brain derived neurotropic factor you produce, which is important for neural connection, developing new neural pathways in your brain and, you know, these highways that informations flow through. Uh, so clinically, a DNA test will typically tell you, oh, you you do well with concussions, right? right. Which is yeah. true because if you can develop new pathways, you repair quickly. But it also is highly implicit in your mood and behavior. Uh, and if you're developing new pathways, you can learn new skills. Definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm a man of many hats, call it, right? There's right. some yes. people that do really well at something and I, and I can't do that. I can't put myself 100% in uh, and be that sort of scientist in the lab that that's all they do. Um, I can do multiple things. And in fact, I get bored if I'm not shifting gears all the time. That yeah. comes back yeah. to my rewards behavior, right? Right. So a combination of all this stuff, and there's other things too, leads me to this, what we call high-functioning anxiety, is what we call <laughs> it, where I had this anxiousness that it's not a burden. It's, it's, it doesn't bring me down. It actually drives me. It makes me do things. I, I just can't let anything go. I'm constantly thinking, feeling, and doing, 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 and building. That's that's what I do. Right. Now, you're very lucky that you're now in the right position, um, basically, for what's going on genetically and biologically with you. Uh, there's a lot of people, obviously, who, who can't dr- or are not in the position to drive their career into, into that direction. And uh, yeah. You had mentioned lifestyle being a driver of this as well. And just as a clinician in functional neurology, my gears got turning so much when you started to mention basically dopamine in yourself being more efficient than serotonergic system. And then I'm like, well, if I know that with a patient too, then I would be looking at all these lifestyle and therapies uh, that stimulation-based therapies that are going to drive the serotonergic system as well and exactly. to help help these people out even more and 
there's more and more kind of at home devices as well. Like we always talk about the nutraceuticals, the supplements and things to help drive these chemicals. But there's also the actual stimulation part of that brain to, to drive the chemical production as well. And uh, now with these at home devices as well, there's probably a huge opportunity there to start integrating some of this in with the, with the genetics as well. And that just explodes my curiosity even more with, with everything you're saying here. And, and once again, with yeah. the, with the big picture of getting a lot of people better and that, that are suffering on, on that don't need to suffer. And yeah, the way you just sort of laid it out is exactly what needs to happen and is what's happening. Meaning that when you're talking to a patient, it starts with cognition. How are they even perceiving it? And when we do clinical reviews or coaching or programs with people, we always start with the brain. Because if we don't understand how the person thinks, we can't effectively get them to their their finish line. Because some people are reward-seeking like me. Some people are super flaky, right? Some people are more irritable or they procrastinate. Um, You know, all of this stuff can be predicted genetically. It's Amazing. all driven by neurochemicals, right? It's all, and neurochemicals are all driven by DNA. So even neurotic tendencies and people that are drama queens or whatever you want to call it, that's all genetically driven and we've mapped all that out. So now when we talk to a patient, not only, only do we talk to them differently based on how they perceive, we know what to say to them. We also teach them how they perceive and how they see the world. And there's some people that, wow. for example, um, are much more likely to hold a grudge. There's a gene called ADRA2B, which drives your noradrenaline response. Okay. And and if you don't have a good relationship with that chemical, then all of a sudden you're much more likely to imprint negative stimuli. Right? So it's, it's not only that you experience it, everybody experiences it, but the recall, are you remembering the emotion or the information? So the people that don't do well with noradrenaline remember the the feeling, which means the next time there's a problem, whatever, it's like, oh, not this again. Right. Right. They're, they're holding the grudge and, and that's the way they think. Um, and the person they're talking to is like, what are you talking about? Not this again. This has nothing to do with last time. I don't I have no clue what you're talking about. Right. Right. The, the and these people who, probably cognitively are suffering because they probably think that they can get past these these urges, basically but they're not yeah. able to. And uh, it's their normal where once again, something's driving the behavior that's that's set there. And, and the challenge is they perceive it as real. Right. Right. When, when they have a heightened sensitivity and a greater ability to imprint, and then they filter through these feelings, they think you're wrong, that you're not feeling what they're feeling, right? When they have a car accident, God forbid, and they just can't go down that street for the next six months, and then somebody else can jump in an Uber five minutes later, right. they think you're wrong, that you're cold, that you can't feel. So it's, But it's also a superpower because it speaks to like an emotional intelligence and being able to read the room and know what people are thinking and feeling because you remember the feelings and that's how you filter your thoughts. So again, coming to a patient uh, that has whatever they're dealing with, you know, mom had breast cancer, I don't want it. Imagine the trauma that they're coping with if this is them, right? And and how you have to talk to them entirely differently. So, and then the second thing you said about 
tracking, which we believe that's the biggest thing that prevents chronic disease from being dealt with properly, which is hmm. our medical experience is doctor visits, right? Exactly. It's, you book a visit and everything happens in that visit. So there's only ever time to talk about the problem and call it a diagnostic level and then prescribe some kind of therapeutic, but there's no tracking. And if you, you can't resolve chronic disease with a pill, you can only manage it. You can only help the person maintain the disease at a more comfortable level. Oh, That's exactly. Yeah. The medications don't make you healthier. They, they manage a pathology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They stabilize so, the pathology. Yep. But what makes you healthier is all the behavior change in between the doctor visits. And right. that only happens. Remember, we inherently are lazy. We're not, we don't do things. If I tell you, you have to be asleep by this time, two, three days. Yeah. And then you're going to go right back to your old habits. Right. Exactly. So the behavior change is, is where health is found though. And, and, and that requires, like you said, devices that are tracking in real time that are reminding you that are telling you what to do next. You reached another threshold. Good job. You now did this. Now start to adopt this habit. And let's bring you even further down the, the, the track of health, right? So that's how you achieve health is by getting rid of the disease. And you can only get rid of the disease by changing your habits, which requires real-time consistent tracking like you're talking about. Nice. Now, you're, you're, what's holding this back from actually going mainstream? Because so often, like especially kind of the nutritional forums I'm in, it kind yeah. of feels like it's the same people talking about the same same topics round and round. And we all have a great understanding about it, but the average person has no no clue basically about yeah. what what could actually be their true potential. Um, so what's holding this back? Because this is so yeah. enriching to society. Yeah, there's a there's a different answer for Canada and the U.S. Oh, definitely. And it's driven, yeah, it's, it's driven by the same thing, which is who's paying the bill, right? And our challenge in Canada, I'm in Toronto, is that we have a single payer. The government pays for everything. And so there's an entitlement where when it comes to my health, if it's not free, there's a problem, right? I'm not supposed to pay out of my pocket for health well, this thing is not covered. It's probably not good. It's probably not safe, right? Uh, and that's the entitlement in Canada. So the, You've the way just to fix named that, every struggle I've had as a clinician yeah. in, in Canada. <laughs> that's the big problem. Absolutely. Now, in the U.S., it's a completely different animal. Um, in the U.S., we have, if you're lucky to be insured because you had the right job, great. But even then, you're probably only insured for catastrophic type stuff, exactly. right? Like I have to go to the hospital for heart attack. Like the daily, I got to go to the doctor. There's still a copay. You're paying for half of it. So Americans are much more used to paying for things. Yes. The big thing that's happening now is healthcare is so expensive because of managing chronic disease and the employers are paying the majority of the bill Yeah. that now there's a, a grassroots effort to get rid of disease because they don't want to pay for it. Not only do, do they not want to pay for it, but they recognize the absenteeism, the presenteeism where, where staff is there, but they're really not there, right? They're, they're just still stuck in their condition. So these three things are driving change. And if you go spend some time in the US, you'll see a completely different animal. It's already happening, right? Right. So what's happening is 
people are paying out of pocket for devices and they're tracking and they're paying for supplements and they're buying things like red light therapy and saunas and things to put in their house and they're buying very expensive supplements like nmn and you know like a precursor to nad that type of stuff we're here all of that stuff is foo-foo science and entitlement right yeah i don't want to pay for it and it's it's not my doctor would never prescribe that right so uh so that that's what needs to happen is the person paying the bill needs to be motivated to save money by not paying for disease and if you look at uh, the healthcare budget, at least in the US, the CDC says that 90% of the $4 trillion healthcare budget wow. is chronic disease. 90%. 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, but there's no surprise because if you look at American food and American environment and American chemicals and American stress and American lack of sleep, yeah, there's going to be a lot of chronic disease. Now, all of these are things that Canadian taxpayers are paying for. Yeah, exactly. So the mentality just hasn't trickled down. And yeah. I, I still believe Canada has such a great knowledge base too. Um, I should say education base. And yeah. I, I do think that once the spark is actually lit, it will take off in, in Canada. Yeah. And, and uh the great thing is it's entrepreneurs leading it like yourself versus big government. And I, I think that's that's yeah. very valuable, too. It takes people taking a risk and innovating and, first of all, showing what's possible. Right. Here's how we actually solve this problem. Here's a better way. And then maybe it takes a bunch of truckers driving into Ottawa and saying, <laughs> you know, we're paying tax that, that the thing that we believe is free is actually coming out of our tax payment, our tax budget. Right. Right. Ontario has like a $68 billion healthcare budget. People don't realize all the waste, all that cost of maintaining sick people versus even asking why they get sick in the first place. That money could be spent on schools or roads or, you know, or it could be spent on paying for these things that we're saying that they won't pay for. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Yeah amazing conversation there's so many many notes i've jotted down and uh and love to continue it later uh if there is one thing you'd like to leave everybody with uh one one strong point not to narrow it down to just one yeah. but uh what would that be yeah i would say so all we today we've been talking about genetics which means what do i need to do personalization right uh I'm not assuming that everybody has access to or has already done or is planning to get a genetics test done. So what can you do today, right? If we average out and say, this helps everybody, forget about what does my DNA need? So I would say there's, there's probably two things. Um, watch your sleep and watch your fasting. We eat too much, okay. right? We are not, again, go back to what I said earlier, which is our DNA is 250,000 years old. So yes. we are designed to cope with what people did for that much. It's only in the last sort of two, three generations that we have the access to food that we do now. We are not designed to eat three meals a day and constantly be satisfied by food. We are meant to be hungry, which is when your body gets into autophagy and you start to get rid of proteins that could cross the blood brain barrier and cause issues. You know that Health Canada has rebranded Alzheimer's as type three diabetes. Yeah, I did did hear that. Yeah, right. But nobody talks nobody about. Nobody does. No. 
they're they're now telling you we can't deny anymore that we know why Alzheimer's happens. It's a food-related problem. We eat too much. And so we never get into an autophagy state, a fasting state, which is when your body gets rid of all the crap that causes Alzheimer's, which is all these frayed amino acids and proteins that your muscle tissue kind of atrophies over time. And that stuff enters your bloodstream and crosses the blood-brain barrier. But guess what? Our ancestors Mm -hmm. of 250,000 years used to use that as fuel because they were hungry. Right. So the, whatever was in the blood is what was used. We don't do that anymore. So it's so again, going back to your question of what to do, it's adopting things that are free, no cost that you could do tomorrow that don't require personalization. And the two things are fasting at least twice a week. You know, look up intermittent fasting and figure that out. For women, don't do it more than twice a week. For men, you can do it every day if you want, no problem. For women, it's, it's going to cause hormonal issues. So twice a week max. Uh, and the second thing is sleep. So pay attention to your sleep length and quality. Uh, don't feel like you need to be a superhero. Like, ah, I sleep three hours a day because I'm a CEO. That's why CEOs die of heart disease at 55, right? Exactly. So you need to sleep because that's when your recovery happens. That's when you produce your hormones. That's when your glutathione process happens. Uh, that's when you produce your neurochemicals, serotonin. This is why your mood will be off if you don't sleep properly. This is why you your immune system goes down. Everything falls apart. So sleep length and quality, right? Those are the things I would say. Find the things that are free that you can do tomorrow that don't need personalization. And those are the two big ones. Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, Kashif, I really appreciate your time, your insight and your wisdom on everything and the efforts that you guys are going forth to absolutely change how we view health and how we actually improve health and performance Uh, for everybody at the hearty brain once again taking athletic introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and turning them into ironclad brain performers watch your sleep and do some fasting thanks for joining us thank you it's a pleasure